Hey friends, welcome back to the Painless Podcast. This is Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking, your host here. Joining me in just a minute will be Sean Callahan, longtime prep school hippie. I'm currently a vice president at Jack Morton Wide. Great chat coming up on a range of topics. And uh, it's fun. It's a good time. Uh, hear how Sean has incorporated his passion for music and pop culture into each of his jobs. Then uh, Fish and Dead, pretty much uh, any story. And uh, the also some really good advice on the importance of transparency, adaptability, and other elements uh, part of his success and could be part of yours too. So that's the point of a painless podcast. Simple concept, connecting with good human beings like Sean, the people from the sports and event marketing world, not giving us sound bites, but actual conversations and advice from these smart, interesting, and generous folks. People sharing how they've been successful, the role of mentoring, networking, advice for finding your passion and making it your career. Now, before I go any further, I also want to issue a big apology. As I mentioned in that micropod, uh, that little mini episode 45, there's lots going on here. It's really uh, pulled me away from being able to get these uh, pods edited and, and uh, recorded, edited, and posted. So I apologize. There are more on the way including uh, BMO Harris's Amy Potter, Mosaic's Julie Haferkamp. I'm speaking to them in uh, a matter of hours, as well as uh, I've got Mary Banker, coach, Mary Banker, life coach, track coach. We'll get your button uh, in gear one way or the other. I've got her on the docket as well, so there will be some more great ones coming up. Thanks for sticking around. And uh, the stuff that's been pulling me away, I promise, is going to have uh, some great benefits for all of you in the Painless Networking Group Remember that even if there's not a podcast this week or next, you can always go to painless.network 24-7-365 helps you directly and simply connect with other members, painlessly sharing and posting jobs, internships, projects, finding yourself one, finding somebody else to hire, finding somebody to partner with, eliminate those degrees of separation today painlessly at painless.network. We're now well past 600 members regularly checking in and interacting who've shared with us more than 250 jobs. I counted uh, 43, I think, are live right at the moment. Some really interesting stuff, uh, not just Chicago, but nationwide. Check it out, painless.network. And one more thing, as a member, quick member benefit, the good folks at Chicago Sport and Social Clubs, go back and listen to pod number 44 with Chris Hastings if you're not familiar with them and the work that they do. Great guy, great group. But with summer finally here in the great city of Chicago, Chicago Sport and Social Club offers the largest sports leagues locations all over the city. Not just competition, camaraderie, registration for summer is still open for leagues that aren't already filled. Some of them I have started this week, so get in there. No FOMO allowed. Beach volleyball, softball, all kinds of great stuff. Use the code PAINLESS and get up to 75 bucks off your fee. Hurry, though. Leagues are filling fast and starting up, so get in there. ChicagoSocial.com. Even if you're an individual looking to join a team, you can do that there. It doesn't have to be teams only. Get in and enjoy summer. All right. Uh, thanks, Chicago Sport and Social Club. Check them out, chicagosocial.com. And enough yapping. Today's pod was recorded a few weeks ago, May 9th, West Loop. Let's get connected with my good friend, Sean Callahan. Hey, welcome back to the Painless Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm real excited about today's guest, Sean Callahan, a good friend of uh, my, myself as well as the uh, Painless Podcast and Painless Networking. Sean is uh, currently a VP at Jack Morton Worldwide. We're going to talk some of that. Uh, talk about an interesting background that he's got, and uh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna bug him to commit to doing a, his own podcast that we've been kicking around today, and uh, we're also gonna. Um, have him solve the world's um, experiential marketing issues today. So, <laughs> so that, make sure you listen all the way to the end. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Sean, um, a native of St. Louis, how did you uh, how did you end up fleeing the arches and ending up in Chicago? Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, you know went to Mizzou um, in Columbia, your arch rival to Illinois, <laughs> and. When um, Ms. Ms. <laughs> uh, M I Z, and um, you know, really pursued uh, a degree in advertising really hard. Didn't didn't uh, immediately get into the J school because I I didn't um, do so hot on the prerequisites of reporting and things like that. But then uh, once I was in the J school in the ad sequence, I really flourished and and it was like okay, this is what I am good at and what I want to do and and actually did a, a one-year master's program uh, in sponsorship and marketing that Mizzou was, um, uh, that was the first year that they had come out with it. And yeah, so I mean, they've got, a, they've got a great journalism school. How did you, um, um, you know, did you, did you know going into school, going to college that you were like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a journalist or did you get into Mizzou and because that was a great program there you gravitated towards that or were you thinking of doing uh, something more like advertising and no I mean I was pretty lost I think I mean you know I, I mean I applied to like 12 colleges I think and got into most of them but but then my dad's like well um, we don't have the money for Miami of Ohio and all those things that you like. And so, um, so I was like, all right, well, I guess Mizzou <laughs> looks pretty good. And, and, you know, it was beautiful campus and it was awesome. And, and, uh, and no, I mean, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. So I think I was like pre, you know, poli sci at first and, and, uh, like to get in, as you know, like to get in a lot of um, philosophical questions and arguments <laughs> about things. And, and, uh, so thought maybe that was right. But then, you know, I did, I was an artist in grade school and high school, um, to some extent, even though I never pursued it like professionally or even like semi-professionally and, and, uh, but somehow I don't remember where along the lines, I mean, I, I thought, well, okay, that, that could be interesting. And that program is very strong. And, and, um, and, uh, I mean, I certainly, I, I still am constantly trying to figure out really who I am on a daily yeah, basis. Right. But, but, uh, but it kind of, you know, it, it was a struggle at first because it just reporting and all that didn't really click for me. But, but the campaigns classes and the creativity and sort of the ad, you know, if I look back on it, I said something that somebody the other day that. Do you remember Commercial Crazy? It was like a weird board game in like the eighties, and I'm like, like I think back, I'm like that actually was a board game, and like that existed, but and I had it. I, I remember having it and asked for it for Christmas, and and so at some level, I think commercials and all of that um, always resonated with me, and actually resonates with my five year old today. He always won't, you know wants to stop and doesn't want to DVR, but, um, the creative (laughs) aspect and creative and commerce, um, um, I think somehow pushed me into it maybe subconsciously. Now, did you, you know, talk about the creativity side and the artist, like, were you, were you a, uh, a doodler, a drawer, a painter? Uh, what, what kind of stuff did you do? Um, a lot of just different, um, I was not, I later became graphically in, inclined in college when that was part of the classes, but um, 
you know, I mean, I'm, you know, and in, in when I was in grade school and high school, I mean, there wasn't a lot of that to begin with. Um, and um, mostly just drawing, you know, and uh, I, I, I mean, I remember uh, thinking back to even grade school, there was an assignment, I think, in second grade where the teacher had us design an album cover, which is a funny idea. In second grade? Yeah, in second grade. Oh, that's awesome. And I remember very specifically the the design was uh, that I, or the band I created was Better Off Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember the design was like five dudes that like were like different types of rockers and like, and, and, uh, and, I, and I remember getting like, that was like, I think I, there was like some sort of contest element to it. I think I remember winning the contest in my class, like, mm. because of, uh, so maybe that is like, so, some, says something about where I've ended up in life or continue to go in life. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, so you had, the, the master's was not a, a journalism. Uh, it was through the J school. Yes. Masters, Every, yeah. Right? Everything was in the J school. The ad sequence was always, so once you got through the reporting classes and at Mizzou, and if you're in advertising, instead of going into doing other more reporting things or any of that stuff, you, you go into more advertising related classes. And then I worked at the newspaper, um, uh, in or for the, the campus newspaper called the man eater and did ad sales, but you did sales and it was a dual job. You did sales and, um, creative, which actually also some something about maybe yeah, where I've ended right. up in life, but yeah. where it's a little bit of, you know, new business and, you know, talking to the local pizza place, you know, Gumby's pizza, um, or, or where Dan McGalla worked, uh, the, the CD place, uh, in town. Um, but then you would also design the ads, um, on, you know, Max and with Quark and things like that. Huh. So, so and you mentioned Dan's name. Did you guys, were you there, both there at the same time? No. So Dan Megala, as, as some of your listeners may know, um, a good friend of ours, uh, he, um, he taught a one hour um, sports sponsorship class at Mizzou. It was the first year he did that. And it was um, for my master's program. Um, and so he was teaching about, 15 of us and um he probably in a weird way is ultimately responsible for why i moved to chicago um because he was like one of the only people i knew you know from that class and we just kind of hit it off and then when i was planning to move up here he was one of the few people i hit up um but yeah and how did you you know st louis as much as i i <laughs> knock it is actually a you know pretty good town good people um a, a baseball team that used to be good, and <laughs> eleven uh, World Series, and used to, yeah, uh, time's gone by, and <laughs> uh, first place, I former, think. Um, you know, <laughs> former NFL city, but and former NBA city, but the, uh, but no, it's again, I have to get the digs in, but it's, but again, it's, it's, uh, it's actually a good city, good people, good sports town, good, um, you know, there's some good uh, culture, music, things like that to come come out of St. Louis. So there's things going on there. Why were you set coming almost right or even set in school to come to Chicago or did no, that come about yeah, later? No, I mean, I, I partially I think it was, um, you know, I just didn't want to get married right away after college and that was in the era that I was in. St. Louis was very like, move back to St. Louis, get married. And, and I was on the forefront, I think, of a lot of like, you know, I have a lot of friends from from high school that moved around the country and, and, um, but 
partially I didn't want to have a car and I wanted to, do, you know, live a different life. And, and St. Louis didn't really offer a lot of that. It's a great place to raise a family, but it was, especially when I graduated college, a hard place to be 22 and single and yeah. wanting to, you know, live a crazy life a little bit. And, but also I did an ad club trip to Chicago and saw a different few places, um, including, um, one, the place I currently work at Jack Morton. And, um, but the, sort of the the sixth place that we visited was uh, kind of like a Goldilocks and, and Three Bears type of experience where I walked in and was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be home. And it was a place called Entertainment Marketing. And um, a guy that had uh, gone to Mizzou um, had owned the place. This guy, Mitch Burke, was the CEO. And, and uh I walked in, it was at 360 North uh, Michigan, right in the corner there, that's now the London house, and we're in the 17th floor, and the most beautiful offices I've ever seen, the most cool people looking people I've ever seen. All the posters on the wall are rock stars, and, and, and it's like, and the company worked on um, music sponsorships, and I was like, this is it. I'm like, I, cause I thought maybe I would go work for Rolling Stone and like ad sales. And I just read the Jan Wenner biography. So I'm glad I didn't do that, but, uh, <laughs> guys are a little nuts, but, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the company, um, I had known a few people that worked there. Um, and, um, when I went back to Mizzou and I just tried everything I, I could to get that job and, and to work there. Um, and because I guess a little, Fortitude, but also a good friend, uh, a woman named Cheryl Withrow, who'd worked there that I went to school with, um, got me in, and that kind of well, set my path a little bit. Yeah, so let's talk a little more about that, too. Uh, you said Cheryl, right? I'm yep. making sure that, you know, since we're a painless networking group, you know, how did you figure that out? How did you figure out to maybe connect some dots or utilize or create and build and then utilize a network or something like that yeah. when you were 23 years, 24 yeah, years 23, old? 23. What, what did you, you know, it, some people, you know, and I, it's hard for me sometimes to quantify it, that there's some, some, some innate wiring, I think, of understanding you just need to do that. I think it's important for some people who don't might be listening going, well, you know, how did you like, put your finger on that? and say, well, I want to work here, well, then how do I connect to other people to help make that happen? Right. Um, you said well, was yeah. she had, she, you knew her from Mizzou? Mizzou yeah, but so... she didn't do the one-year master's, so I, was, I stayed. I basically did a five-year stint at Mizzou um, and walked out with a master's degree. And, and so she had already, she had a wor- year working on her, and she was working on the uh, uh, Burger King sponsorship of the Backstreet Boys, and uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, I remember uh, there was a picture of her surrounded by like three million Burger King wrappers, um, like paper wrappers, because that was part of the contest to meet the Backstreet Boys. Um, but uh, the um, you know, it's funny. I mean, there's two guys that were running the Jack Morton office as well, the head of creative and um, the head. Uh, the group, I guess, uh, managing director, a guy named Bill Bunkers and Tim Wolf. And these two guys are still great friends of mine. And they, um, you know, Tim gave this speech about sort of impassioned um, uh, creative life. And, and he actually, you know, is a perfect person to interview because he has this very nonlinear path into his career and had been like a gospel singer in some level and like 
um, and done all these other things. And then he literally took a temp job at Jack Morton and started rewriting the script. He was like, hey, type these scripts up, like these scripts for their you know big meetings. They did like the McDonald's franchisee meetings. So they got the president of McDonald's up there talking about, you know, what's coming come down, what, you know, new Happy Meal toys are going to happen or whatever. And Tim would get these scripts, and he's like, he's like, oh, I'm a better writer than this. So he started rewriting them. This is kind of a side comment. But he, uh, uh, and so, you know, he's a very interesting character, and he's a, he's a very creative, amazing individual, and happy to have him as a lifelong friend. Um, but uh, he struck a chord with me in that, in that um, well, and then his rewriting the scripts are like, oh, well, we're going to hire you. And then he kind of made his way and he became the creative director. And he, and when I went to his office, he has, he had a snow globe from every, um, every town that he had been to on all his new business trips and all of these, you know, things. It was like, oh, this guy's awesome. You know? And he was like, and I was like, I want to be this guy, you know, at some level. And, and, and he, you know, I, um, my first job in life was a caddy and I was 11 years old and probably weighed about a hundred pounds wet. And, but I was the first guy there at six in the morning, every Saturday and Sunday, I'd ride my bike until Gonquin country club. And I got, um, excited by seeing a different life of, of people and, um, being able to play in that course and being able, I like, you know, I was 11 years old, but like talking to adults in like an adult manner and like learning about them. And, and I think that, you know, says something about, I just like people and I like stories and hearing about people. And, and, um, I would just work hard enough to be okay with the fear of rejection. I mean, there's a lot of guys, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that I could have, gone down paths of other agencies like in St. Louis, you know, that were great agencies at the time, but the guys that wouldn't give me the time of day for whatever reason. And I want to work at Anheuser Bush, but I wasn't in that, you know, um, uh, I, while I worked at my first job, but eventually on Anheuser Bush, um, and had a lot of great experience with them, you know, there were people that didn't give me the time of day and, and, um, you know, I, I take things personally and so sure that hurt, but I mean, I kept, going and knowing that, um, having faith in, in, in the fact that I think I know what I'm doing here and maybe I was too dumb to know better. Um, but, um, you know, I get by a little help from my friends. I mean, it's certainly the, the, the success of my life. If anything, if I have any level of, uh, of, uh, happiness, it's because of, um, you know, people that, have given me chances and then hopefully, you know, paying those, those off. Do you remember how you, how you landed that first, you know, what the competition was for landing that first job? No, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think Cheryl would say she just, you know, she got me it, <laughs> you know, is that, you know, and there's certainly a lot of, you know, cause there was a lot of Mizzou people there and, and I think I maybe just played up the, passion of, of my music and, and, uh, advertising and marketing expertise and interest enough with, um, all of that, that it just kind of played out. Uh, um, but I, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, in retrospect, getting it is one thing. I mean, but also uh, this was my, my parents thought I was insane because I, I took this, it was a internship. It was not a job. I mean, it was a four month internship and I had a master's degree and, and five years of, of uh, a school debt. 
And my family certainly did not have any um, uh, fail-safe on the financials here. And they thought, you're moved to Chicago, and you're going to live with who? And what do what? I mean, I, I moved in with one of my best friend's um, brother, or not even brother-in-law at the time, his, uh, his sister's boyfriend, like some random guy who I'd never met. And I remember living up on you know, uh, random, you know, Irving and Damon in this random place of like, it's some random dude that was like, and I'm 23 and he's like 38, you know, <laughs> like, and, 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 but I, I mean, I would never do that now. <laughs> like, but, but it was like, I just did it. I mean, I, I look back on it. I think it's crazy, but you know, I, I did it and, and, you know, people did it all the time, but it's, it's kind of not knowing any better, I guess. And, and also not having any other, what the alternative was to go live with my parents in in suburban St. Louis and do what I don't know. I mean, so yeah. well, that that's what lit the fire that you you were willing to take the chances to go do that. Necessity is the mother and in invention, oh, you know, for sure. So you worked at EMI for a couple of years and then you went to uh, TBA Global. Is that right? Yeah. Well, let, I mean, let's talk about EMI for a second though, because I think it's worth because it's a it's an amazing it was an amazing company that there's a lot of people you know in Chicago and around the world that are great people. I mean, Georgina Flores is you know king dog at Allstate. Um, you know was there for a while and like, and, and a lot of, you know, Corey Isaacson was the VP of business development runs, you know, owns Walton Isaacson. And that, you know, was a very key relationship, you know, to me, um, throughout my life. Um, and to some extent still is. And, and, uh, but you know, the, um, place was really amazing. I mean, it was a, um, ahead of its time in that Mitch Burke who had owned it had started, um, doing music marketing in, in the first, um, even version of this doing the Jovan Musk, which for anybody under 40, uh, would never have heard of as an old cologne. Um, Jovan Musk, um, sponsored the 1981 Rolling Stones tour. And Mitch was like a middle level guy, um, after Mizzou and, um, had worked in his boss. Like they did this sponsorship deal and it was the first of its kind really in a lot of ways and then you know a few things happened with that and then he started his own company and knew some people that he was fraternity brothers at Mizzou that were Bud Light you know brand managers and things they're like oh we're gonna do this thing with George Strait and country music with Bud Light and he's like all right well I'll do that and then he created this company Entertainment Marketing Inc. EMI which Many times he got a cease and desist from EMI Capital Records, but if you know Mitch, he didn't uh-huh. care about that. But uh, um, had just created this whole path, um, you know, forward in a business that just didn't exist, you know, and and it spun off this whole new thing. And so my first job was the Bud Light Tim McGraw sponsorship, and I didn't know a thing about country music besides Johnny Ca- Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson, um, and uh, you know, more of a Grateful Dead country person than a, uh, you know, George Strait, Tim McGraw, Dixie Chicks kind of thing. And, but it was still the greatest thing ever. I was like going to concerts and, and, um, uh, you know, I was like taking pictures from the pit, you know, for us, for Bud Light, when Tim McGraw would come on stage and do a cheers with somebody and hand a Bud Light to somebody in the audience. And, you know, these key signature moments of like, well, this is amazing. <laughs> like I, you know, and, 
and I seem to have some aptitude towards this. So Mitch and Corey um, brought me into the new business and creative team, which was kind of a non-existent entity. It was sort of a, the same group and it was a little more than four people. And, and, um, you know, we, went after things and did the Google Do- Google Dolls um, sponsorship of the Saturn Ion, a non-existent car <laughs> anymore. I remember we, we, were, we thought we were going to have Lenny Kravitz. That was like who we were going after. And we did this whole deck. We made a cover on the deck of a jean pocket and put a lanyard in the jean pocket. And it's so like, you know, creative and it was, you know, proposals and new business pitches. And I was like, this is amazing, you know, and like, and, um, got to sit at the the front of the class with the owner and the and the people on their um, lead executive team, and um, I I was just living in Lincoln Park in a 600 square foot uh, uh, place where I my bed was in the kitchen, you know, and and uh, and uh, but it was great, you know, and it was I took the 151 bus to work every day. <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is all I need. This is it. <laughs> and then it wasn't. So yeah. you, uh, you went to TBA yeah. after a couple of years. Yeah. Is that related to acquisition or was Yeah, that- it was PGI was the company and they were kind of a mixed um, B2B and B2C agent, you know, experiential event agency and um, later then acquired, yeah, by TBA. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was... a it was sort of like a um, by necessity because of the direction that EMI had gone into. Um, uh, There's like had a again had a friend that's now running um, Dave Schuler, uh, who runs a lot of the sponsorship work at University of Michigan. Took his dream job to go to Michigan and. He was at the, in the job that I took over and told his boss, like, I've got the guy. And I kind of just walked into that <laughs> and, uh, and really carved out more of a, of a space, um, more in the consumer space for them. With um, We started doing work with Nike and, and Nestle and, um, and eventually Anheuser-Busch, um, uh, the old client uh, keeps coming up. <laughs> and, uh, and the old St. Louis beer business comes up again. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was um, uh, kind of a, a mid-level experience, I would say, but, but kept me in, you know, propelling forward into um, this business of experiential and advertising. Well, that's, and, I was just thinking about that is that in this time from, you know, you, you finished your master's yeah. in 01 and, and uh, that next you know, five, six years that we're talking about here uh, on into moving to Walton Isaacson, that was as really experiential was exploding as its own viable type of a a business or industry or product, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that word didn't exist. I mean, like, I mean, because, um, when Event Marketer magazine, like I remember sitting, the two things, there are two meetings that I really laugh about at EMI. Um, one was sitting at, uh, with the guys who started Bonnaroo, like Richard Goodstone, came into our office and pit, were pitching um, my cohort uh, at the time, Matt Beckman and Corey and I, about doing a sponsorship of trying to get our companies, you know, we were working with Jack Daniels, I think at the time and, and trying to get like Jack Daniels and, um, 
Southern Comfort or you know other Brown Foreman brands to do Bonnaroo, and we kind of laughed at it. We're like, "What?" Well, Corey laughed at it. I think it was <laughs> he'll he'll hate this, but but he was like, "That's not going to happen. No one's going to go to the, why would a bunch of hippie? Why would people go to the middle of nowhere in Tennessee?" Because it didn't exist. I mean, like he's looking at going. That's not how the music business works. How are we going? Why would that make sense to go to the middle of nowhere outside of Nashville? Even in Nashville at the time was like this, you know, second, third tier city. And um, why would anyone do that? Like that's no one cares. And I'm sitting there as a fish, Grateful Dead guy, going, "What? Yes, I'll do that." Like I, I just didn't have enough money to do it. And like, <laughs> but uh, I'm like, "Yes, I'll do that. I want to go do that." And like. Um, but the other was with Dan Hanover and Carrie Smith, the guys who were creating um, Event Marketer, and, and Dan and Carrie still remain friends. And when I'm going to the Event Marketer conference next week, you know, we'll yuck it up about these weird stories about when I was 23 and 24. And we, um, you know, that was that that when they started that magazine. I mean, we were. If, Entertainment marketing was the first um, back page advertiser because we were just like, oh, well, this is amazing. Like, we're gonna really commit to this, and and we um, we're really into it. And then Corey and I did a uh, at the first conference. The first year was at the Peninsula here in Chicago. It was a real high class. That first year was amazing. <laughs> it kind of uh, it must have been a, the Peninsula must have given a huge deal because it was the first year I think of the Peninsula. But we literally did a. Um, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a speech or a, uh, a session where <laughs> we, the, the, I think the, um, the title was something along the lines of get into the rhythm of the night or something like, you know, it's totally ridiculous. So like get your brand to the rhythm of the night. And it was all about nightlife marketing because our, our one of our huge clients was, you know, Philip Morris. And so we did a lot of on-premise nightlife and with Brown Foreman continued that. And um, so we, started the session off in a ballroom in the peninsula with a guy that we they had a, there used to be a drum bar here in the west loop when the west loop was seedy as hell and nobody nobody besides there was nobody coming over here unless you wanted to go to um uh what was that like red light is that the restaurant like and or yes. marche, marche or something marche vivo, right one of those. vivo that's it so um and there was a drum bar, like drum circle bar, you know, and like this hippie with a soul patch, um, you'd go in there and he'd teach you like, you know, Mickey Hart level drumming, you know, like on hand drums. And it was like total crazy fest. So we got this guy to... And you to, probably <laughs> found him through your own personal research. Yeah, no, Cor- I don't know how we found him, but like... It sounds like your yeah, kind of guy. Yeah, it is my kind of guy, but like I, you know, um, but I'm, you know, I'm a prep school hippie, remember? <laughs> but right. uh, so, I, you know, um, I, I had the striped shirt at the time, not the Birkenstocks, but... Um, striped untucked shirt at the time and uh so we had um we had this guy do we had like a hundred hand drums and we get everybody to come up to the front to start this thing and people thought we were absolutely insane and probably were you know and um started the session by that and then we took people on a journey mentally of like this guy steve or something of like all the brands that he could encounter, all the things he was doing in like a, um, on his night out. So it was like, hey, you know, Steve's like pre-partying, you know, with his buddies and, you know, all the stuff that happens in the pre-party and like how brands fit into that experience, into your life at that point, how brands fit into your life, life you know, on the cab, not Uber, you know, and, and, and how brands like in the early version of the cell phone and all this stuff. 
And um, yeah, I mean, it was really, because that was not taught in school in any way, shape or form. Um, And so I really, you know, sponsorship was how it was kind of viewed at first. And then sponsorship activation really begat, you know, the idea of experiential or event, you know, experiential became a term later that we wanted to upgrade event marketing and event marketing. You know, some people wanted to peg is like just party planning or or a less sophisticated thing and so when the strategy and creative became more of a of a point to that um, and much bigger ideas than just logo here it became an idea of experiential and you know and building um that um into people's lives and experiences in a different way became a much bigger idea than than just you know, um, we're at a bar and Jack Daniels is serving, you know, free drinks. Right. right. So this, you know, you mentioned Corey a few times. Yeah. And when, when did he start, um, those guys start Walt, Walton Isaacson and then were you there from the get-go yeah. or did you come over after getting established? How did that work? I mean, your path is... It's crazy of the, the it's not being linear, which we talk about. Yeah. Is, there really isn't any such thing anymore of a linear. Well, I probably path, have AD, I probably have adult ADHD at oh, some well, level, but yeah. so I, well, I know so I, I like the nonlinear path. I think but, I'm drawn to well, it, but, but but it worked that way. Yeah. And you you were doing stuff that you were enjoying, but you were also uh, utilizing your network, your connections, your interests, the people you knew that yeah. you were you were not having to go through a terrible interviewing or vicious job search cycle. So you kind of did that again with Walton Isaacson because you knew Corey there, right? Well, we, we, um, it's like, it's funny how, like, even when you win, sometimes you don't win, you know, like we, um, the, I got into a huge pitch um, at TBA because of a friend uh, of mine who was the head of experiential, Mark Greenspan, and Mark was like, well, we got this pitch. Like, I don't know if this is right for you. Like, he had a huge program that was like this big multi-faceted, you know, um, uh, mobile music experience um, that was already happening, you know, and somebody else, I think Momentum was doing it or something. And, and um, so, but he's like, well, we want to overhaul the tour experience at the brewery in St. Louis. And it was... And me being from St. Louis and like to drink, you know, I had definitely gone on the tour a handful of times and you get free drinks at the end and they didn't really check cards very hard and we could fa- <laughs> we could chalk our IDs in Missouri, which is a real boost, you know, to our, to our habits in, at 18. But, uh, so, so we, uh, so I'm like, well, kids at home, I don't, don't, yeah. don't try this at yeah, home. Right. Um, Keegan stop, you know, yeah. <laughs> so Your five-year-old won't um, figure yeah. that out. So he, um, I'm like, there's, I, dude, that's not really what we do, but okay. Like, let me take a shot at this. And we went into this pitch, um, and it was a bunch of, like, Disney Imagineering agencies and, like, George B. Johnson and, like, I think my, I think Jack Morton and, like, companies that really did this, you know, that were more, like, large experiences and a lot of tour-based things. And TBA was not that, you know, we weren't really equipped to do that. And, and, 
um, on paper per se. And, and so we kind of went in a little, you know, naive and like, you know, we're sitting in the briefing center in St. Louis with like 10 other agencies. We're like, well, we got no shot at this, but whatever. You guys were all sitting around in yes, a conference all room. In all in one the briefing. Agencies it's very, one, I've, wow. I've had it a few times and I'm always like, oh, know who you are, yeah. know who you are. Like, <laughs> don't know where you are, but I'm sure I could figure it out. Like, and, um, and, and uh, those are always fun. And uh, so you're, um, we, long story short is like, we won the first round and, and it was like, I we had a small team, but we just went at it. And I really knew this thing and I knew the brand. I knew the, the situation. I knew how to tell the right story and the way had the right creatives on it. We put all these different people from different, you know, areas of life and, and, we just had a really interesting story about what this experience should be for, for the king of beers, you know, and, and especially in that time period, I mean, you know, we're in a little bit different time period with, with the beer business. Um, but that was, they were it, it was all, you know, it was the, the thing. And, and, um, and, and so we, um, we then, you know, thought, okay, we're going, we're the, we won the first, we were in the first, we beat the first round and now we're in the top three. Like we didn't think we we're going to do this. So we continued going after this. And, um, the whole time this is happening, Corey's, you know, we'd have lunch every once in a while, Gibson's and both get the lobster roll and, and it's, uh, pretty cheap, even though it's really excellent. And, and, uh, so he's sitting there at Omnicom and going, all right, we're going to start, I'm going to start this thing. And remember that guy, Aaron Walton, that we used to, you know, joke about, like he's in LA and remember he did the Pepsi, Britney Spears deal and Michael Jackson, all this stuff. Like, yeah. He's like, we're going to do it with him, you know? And, and so I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm in the middle of this thing. That's really amazing. I'm like, I, and I was scared about the idea of that. And, 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 you know, he's doing all this stuff and, then he comes back and says, hey, by the by, like, Aaron and I are really going to do this. And we just got Magic Johnson to be our business partner. I'm like, what? And so then, then to make complicate matters, we win, <laughs> we win the pitch. And it was the height of my, you know, young career at that point. I mean, I screamed like no one's business, you know. And we were above Orvis. The office was above Orvis off Michigan Avenue. And I'm sure people down there were like, you know, while they're getting their fly fishing pants, were, were like laughing about, like, uh, hear my, my croaky Kermit voice. Um, and... Uh, but then, you know, so then we wanted, and it was like really amazing. And, but then um, AB kind of hit a wall and, and we're like, we're not going to do this. Like we're not, the budget was like $40 million. Oh. Yeah. I'd be living on a beach right now, not talking to you. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I was like, okay, well, Corey, I guess, uh, I guess I'm free. <laughs> so. You know, and I, you know, and I, I, I really, I, I really bought into, you know, they had this idea of um, being a different kind of agency and, um, and the background while he was getting his ducks in a row um, and trying to convince me to like, you know, get, walk away from that. Um, he, um, we were creating, uh, he was creating a brand of gin with Lyons Brown from the Brown Foreman family that we had known from our work with Brown Foreman. And, um, uh, Lions had said, oh, I want to buy a gin and I want you to help me, you know, do this. And I think gin's about to take off. And Corey's like, well, why don't we just create our own? And that was in 2005 when no one, no agency was really doing that. And Corey had a very, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, he had sight lines on something else, you know, and, and definitely saw, 
you know, a different way forward on just doing another services business and wanted to do the services, but also wanted to, um, mix it up and do something different. And so, um, he, uh, so I then, you know, um, went on this path with him and decided to do this and I was scared shitless, you know, about doing it. And, and I took a little bit less money than my current salary. And I was like, that was horrifying to me. And my mother just thought I was insane. And like my very, you know, um, um, you know, cat, uh, well not, she's not Irish, but very Catholic mother of St. Louis thought you're crazy. And, um, so we did this, um, and I was, you know, not really a partner, but treated it as my own. Um, and I was their first employee, employee number one, as Corey would always say in meetings, and draft pick number one, as he nicely put. And um, and we um, just went at it. You know, uh, it was a woman named Sophia with Aaron in, in L.A. and Corey and I here in Chicago. And... Um, you know, we had Whirlpool on retainer um, as one client that they had, um, Aaron had brought along and we were doing stuff with Reba McIntyre on her tour that was involved with Habitat for Humanity on the traditional business and it was a nice retainer to keep us going. We did write gin. Um, ultimately, Corey wanted to call it Gatsby, which I thought was interesting, but Gatsby's a flawed character, so we kind of walked away from that. Uh, and so we became, um, we with this other guy, the three of us, um, Corey kept talking, oh, there's a right way to live your life. There's a right way to make, make a cocktail. There's a right way to tie a tie. There's all this kind of right way to live. And this guy, Rob Rosenthal, said, well, why don't we just call it right? And he was like, okay, that's it. Done. You know, And we brought on our creative director from a, a, at EMI, Abby Kelly. And um, she and, you know, we, we just kind of went after this um, to create that brand and then we got a sliver of an opportunity. I mean, in the, also in the first year, they also were like, all right, I think we may fire Sean. Like, this is not working. We're not like, you know, we're kind of like, you know, we're, we're struggling to get opportunities, you know, and we're like, you know, nobody knows us, but nobody, you know, people may know the names, but didn't want to give us opportunities. And we finally got into an opportunity at Unilever on degree women, and they paid us like 10 grand. And that you know, several years later was a multi-million dollar retainer that I was leading all that business while also doing new business and with Nike and, and, uh, Target and whomever else we were dealing with. And, and then the West coast Lexus, um, became a thing and we just blew the doors off that as well. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was very precarious at first and we we're very unsure of ourselves in the situation. And then, you know, I remember a call I had with the two of them and we were like, I don't know how this is going to work. And like, um, but then um, we kind of got into it and we're like, let's just triple down on Unilever. And we started beating agencies that we had no business beating, you know, because we were like five people that just were crazy, you know, and we would put our put um, our effort into things in a way that, that most people didn't and we became a, a, a solutions creative agency that just right. you know would do anything to, to kind of um, beat somebody and put better work out there and, and, and as you know Corey always says like I'll, I'll beat anybody on creative you know like and, and we you know most of the time could yeah is that how much of that do you think is, uh, I mean, obviously uh, not selling you or Corey or any of, the, any of the core group there short, you know, is some of that even 
is that possible in larger settings? Is that like a blessing of being a small shop? You have to do a lot of different stuff and the paycheck is really on the line every time? Is it, is it a convergence of super talented people with the fire under their ass with the, at the right time? And, no, you know, I, think, I, think, I think it's mostly, um, you know, I think um, having seen a lot of different sides of this equation over the last few years, I mean, I think it's mostly everybody on the team has to kind of buy into the, yeah. the thing, you know? And, like, you have to... Um, you have to be just passionate about the work, you know, and like, and, and, and in yourself and like who you are and what you want to do. And, and I don't think that it's not exclusive to just being a startup or whatever. I mean, like, I think that it's, um, it's, uh, having the, um, I haven't read, I have, it's, it's one of the books on my, in my office at home, but, um, the guy, um, Ray, Dalio, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, it's Dalio Principles, and I may be saying that wrong, but he, I think, is the CEO of BlackRock, I believe. And the gist of what I understand the, the idea to be is that they they deal with the company in like total transparency. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that come there get very uncomfortable with it, yeah. but the people that work it lean into it are like they, they, to the extent of they record um, like every conversation, not like from a FBI standpoint, but to critique you and be like, you know, I think you're, you could be better on this type of um, thing. And like, you're, you didn't really, that would drive me crazy personally, but, um, but we were very transparent with each other and almost to a fault sometimes I think that, but we all knew each other and trusted each other and we're very honest with, you know, because Corey would say, like, I don't care if the UPS guy walks in off the street and beats me on an idea. You know, I have some, you know, not that I have a, a, a book per se, but I have award-winning big-ass creative ideas that are mine because um, it was just part of the mix, you know, that we're like, you know, we're all kind of um, wearing a lot of different hats. And that's what I think is interesting and, like, and and um, can be tough sometimes in large organizations where you need to, you know, have very specific roles, I think, in certain yeah. areas. Um, but right. it's, yeah. you got to care. You got to care. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you don't care, then just... How do you think you, know. you find, I mean, like, because you have, like you said, you've been in, on, in, in multiple different roles from, you know, the startup to building up to you know, 30, 40 people, whatever it was at Walton Isaacson when you left, and then you did another, right? Well, we went, no, I mean, we went up to, I think our height, we got up to about 150. Oh, geez. Um, We opened a New York office when Unilever moved, and, like, and we kept expanding. So, yeah, I mean, and I think they may have even gone further after I left. Oh, okay. Okay, I guess that's right. You were talking about that that was a great time when you were around that size of 30, 40 Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a magic that's a magic space and yeah. for sure where you know that's everybody it, it gets you know sometimes not having ever owned my own company but um, but it seems like when you get above a I've heard or seen this like where it gets above a hundred you know you don't know everybody's name anymore it gets a little, right. it's just different it's not worse or better it's no but yeah. there's different challenges and I mean I think that's kind of where my question was going because yeah. then you you help build that up got your numbers wrong you built it up even much more so than than I was yeah. saying there, but then you went started a Chicago office for another group yeah. that didn't work. No, 
fault of your own. I think you did great with it, and it was a good opportunity. And then uh, Havas office for a while, and now with Jack Morton. So you're dealing with everything from starting with one or two people Right. To exploding to a couple places that I are established, right? <laughs> and and that's, I mean, you're somebody that processes that stuff, cares about that stuff. Um, Too much sometimes. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a problem that we probably both have that is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. But the, but from that, like, we, we, I, where I was going with this is finding people to hire, finding people to, you know, we talked before we started recording about having people that are on your team. Sometimes right. even when you have gotten to a point of not even be able to speak to each other for a bit, whatever, but you're, that's part of that was because you were so passionate about right. things or whatever that what do you think of advice to people or what are some of the things you've shaped now in 20 plus years of being, being out there? Of, uh, not that much. Of it. All right. <laughs> you're right. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> that's me. You aren't there yet. Um, but closing in. You're well into your second decade. But the <laughs> point is of finding people, good people that you want on the team. Like, how do you try to identify that? It's, and the transparency thing is a big part of it. And I thought there was a lot of pushback, frankly, from old timers about transparency right. and bitching and moaning about all oh, these millennials and whatever, you know, the new generation, they share too much information. They're too open about all this and all that. And it's like, well, you know, hey, old timer, maybe you need to get with the times and understand that's the way these guys communicate and appreciate that information and it's not all negative there can be positives out of it finding that balance yeah what i'm gotta shut up and let you answer but i mean how do you look at that right now of finding good people to build a team with um i am definitely not always um uh, the person that takes my own advice here but i think that change is inevitable i mean i am a big um uh darwin (laughs) person (laughs) and and it's not really about like, you know, some people take it in the wrong ways of like survival of the fittest. And it's like, it's, that's not what it is. It's adaptations. It's being able to adapt. And the aforementioned Abby Kelly and I always talk about like, oh, there's not a lot of, in marketing services, there's not a lot of 50-year-olds, you know. And, and I think what happens is um, if people aren't adaptable. And, and I think that, what has served me well is that I'm able to adapt to different situations and different needs because, you know, if, if um, we would have just stayed into music and entertainment marketing at, at Walton Isaacson, we probably would have hit a wall of like, well, that's not going to happen. And, and really, how much is that happening in Chicago anyway? And like, and it was still right. a lot of like pre, you know, festival explosion at some level. And, 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 um, but we took a, a different approach. It was like, well, we're going to, we can get into different areas of stuff and that worked for the company. And, and I think providing value for your employer and your clients is what's of paramount importance. Um, and you need to kill your ego and it, it, it just, it serves nobody any purpose. Um, and if, you're in it for the wrong reasons, then that will catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be in it for some reasons because you're an artist, you're um, you're a people person. You just you know get off on on being with people and and making things and building things. And like as my 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 guru you know Seth Godin says, being able to say here I made this you know and 
And so I think you can tell in the people that are, you know, in it for, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people just stumble into this space of life in, in business because, oh, it seems fun or, you know, or easy or something, or my, my dad knew somebody, or I just have no other idea because I'm an English lit major or something. I mean, but those people kind of come and go, you know, that, I mean, if, if, you know, the people that really for some reason, I mean, I got, I think, you know, if I trace it back, like I really wanted to get into this because my first concert in 1994 was the Grateful Dead. And, and yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. My, and I, and I remember some, I don't even recall. Right. Right. Exactly. Like my, my parents, my parents were, my mom was like a Phil Collins and Earth, Wind and Fire and Barbara Streisand person. And my dad was like Chuck Berry and Temptation. So there's always music around, but it wasn't, we weren't a concert family. I am, my family now is a concert family. All my kids are, you know, in utero, a lot of Pearl Jam, Fish, Grateful, you know. Uh, Led Zeppelin, or you know Robert Plant, and everything. Uh, but um, uh, my morning jacket, I think Keegan saw when he was in utero. But uh, <laughs> the um, I, you know, I was like, I, I saw a different life. You know, when the Grateful Dead came to St. Louis in 1994, all these weirdos showed up, and I was this preppy, you know, guy, as my brother would say. He's like dude, I think they'll think you're like a kid narc or something, you know? And like, and you know, I like my tie-dye dancing bears t-shirt on and like, but I wasn't there just, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't a drug guy. I wasn't even drinking, you know? And I was just like, this is a world that I didn't know existed. And it was like, you're showing me all these people and strange things. And my dad was so confused. You know, he was born in 1947 and he was kind of, through the dead, you know, always, but always saw, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, you like the Grateful Dead? Like, why is it? But I'm like, it just lit something in my, inside of me that was just like, it's different every night. It's exciting. It's improvisation. It's fun. There's these weirdos here. It's a lifestyle, you know, like, not that I, there were some other people that took it way too far and ended up off the deep end. I just took it for what it was. I'm like, there's something here I can take from this artistically or creatively. And that's why I wanted to get into this business and why I still at 40 years old love going to concerts more than anything and love, you know, music and entertainment and experiential marketing because I just am into it and I like, you know, all that stuff. And if you're just doing this job or anything just because your mom told you need to get a job or you want money, then you're probably going to be unhappy and you're probably going to leave and go do something else. Yeah. How, what was your gateway to, uh, if you will, to the dead? Like how was... Casey 95, I think. <laughs> it was really the radio. I mean, probably, like yeah, the radio. The radio, I was obsessed with radio, talk radio, and I love podcast and music. And I was like, I think... What was it? K- KMOX was KMOX, the talk yeah. KMOX was talk and like, and baseball games and Cardinals, <clears throat> Cardinals games, Mike mm-hmm. Shannon, Jack, Jack Buck. And I was obsessed. I mean, I would fall asleep to the radio and, um, you know, whether it was talk radio or music or, and I was just, you know, I think what it was probably was like Sunday nights on KC95, which was like the classic rock station oh, yeah. in St. Louis, right. um, had like a Grateful Dead hour. Yeah. And I think I stumbled into that and was like, oh, that's what the, you know, and all the guys I went, you know, that were older than me at, at my private prep school, St. Louis University High School, school where everybody, you know, was driving, all the guys that I wanted to be were driving around a Jeep Cherokee or Jeep Wrangler with the top down and uh, 
with the steal your face sticker and dancing bear sticker. I was like, Oh wait, that's what that is. And then like, and then it just happened to be that it, it hit me in a way, you know, and so, and it was like, so how old were you when that, what probably 12, I mean, I guess like when I, you know, started to kind of, you know, and the guys I, there were older guys at the pool that I was a pool rat of, or like the caddy that the, the the golf club that Uh I was at that they all listen like Led Zeppelin, the doors and the grateful dead. And I was like, and then actually like, my youngest sister had a tape of fish and I was like, well, what's this? And like, she didn't know what it was really either. And then it just became, you know, my buddy, Mike Keen and I went to fish in 95 and that was like, Oh, okay. Cause they're also, my brother and I loved comedy and we would, and my dad was a, a, um, my dad was a Monty Python guy and like a, you know, blazing saddles guy and loved all that stuff. And we watched all that stuff way earlier than we should have. And my brother and I would stay up, you know, Saturday nights and, and watch Slapshot or Holy Grail or, or Saturday Night Live, you know, through all the John Lovitz and Dana, Car- Dana Carvey years. And then Fish is comedy, too. It's like Grateful Dead plus Talking Heads. Like, it's art and comedy. Yeah. And it's weird. And you're just, no, it's totally different. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay, this works right. for me. Everybody else doesn't have to like it. And I don't care. Right. Right. Well, that, but that's... I mean, that's important. Some people never get to that. And it took me a lot longer on something like that to actually appreciate some of those things. Yes, and I took you to your first fish show. You did take me to just just this this (laughs) last last summer. summer. And uh, and appreciated it. It took me longer to get to that point. But, I mean, it's you're right. There's that... Uh, all those things you talked about, improv and comedy and fun and, and being well, open. I, ev- and I eventually did through what I will, this is like relevant to, to, to your listeners is like, I convinced um, Mitch Burke to pay at entertainment marketing to pay for improv classes at second city because I wanted to get better at um, presentations and stand up or, you know, stand up in front of people. Cause I was nervous. And like, I was like, they could tell like you're creative and you can, you're good here and you, people like you, but you get, you get kind of afraid in front of a crowd because I was insecure. And so I did second city and that ended up turning into two years of classes. I didn't know and that. Oh my God. That's it was amazing. Awesome. Like, and I met all these weirdos that I was like the corporate guy <laughs> and there are all these, like some guy, you know, people are all over the board of like who they were and stuff, but it was amazing. And I always tell people like young people, I'm like, do it. Do it. They have writing classes. They have, they, and it will change your life in some way. I don't know how it is, and I always wish my sister Megan would have moved to Chicago or my friend John Simon would have moved to Chicago because I would have paid for their classes because it's like you can tell with certain people, they're like, you have that thing. Right. Like, I'm not naturally funny at all. Like, and, like, and, I, and people, my brother, who is funny, you know, was always like, why are you doing this? You're not funny. That's not going to work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think I'm smart, actually, though, but I'm not funny. And so I would use my intelligence in a straight way to get laughs. Kind of like, well, Col- I don't want to compare myself to my hero, Stephen Colbert, but like I think that's where he came at it. It's like, he's smart, and he tried hard and would use it as a straight thing more than... Yeah, but there's two parts of that. Like Part of that is that you touched, touched on that, I think, you know, it's so important, the adaptability. You're finding right. ways to adapt both yourself, uh, yourself to your environment. Uh, Which is why I like imp- Fish and Dead, I think, because right. it's, it's, it's adaptable and it's improv. You're like, wait a minute, all of a sudden they're going to just like 
suddenly do a 40 minute version of this song. Like seriously, I mean like that's, and I, like for me that's heaven on earth and for everybody else it's like that's torture. Like but, but you know, and that's like, but you know, when improv is great, just like any right. improvisational music or like great creative riffing, like brainstorming is not a great technique when it's with people that wanna like, are afraid of it. When brainstorming is awesome is when it's like, all right, we're gonna talk about, my friend Mike Starcevich is one of the greatest brainstorm you know leads I know and he's a creative guy in this in the Chicago community but he really studied it you know and he studied improv and he worked with Tina Fey and he did all this stuff and it's like because like all right we're gonna riff on red what is like if you're doing something for Target like what does red mean to you red is the Cardinals or red is roses red is and then if it like becomes something else like well what is what are roses roses are love you know like well what is love love is friends and family what are friends friends are party so like you end up in these other areas where you're like fish talks a lot about this not to keep going back to them but (laughs) but they talk a lot about no judgments and they, when they were humming in the late 90s in a really crazy way is because they started to say to each other, we're not going to judge this. When we get off stage, they used to like be like, well, you kind of were bad there. You were flat there. Why'd you do that? Why'd you go on this drum part too long? And they started to go crazy and hate each other and like get all riled up. This goes, and this goes back to the Ray Dalton, no judgments. And we're not judging where you're going with this. And some of it's spun gold sometimes and some of it's not. But like if you can follow and keep going after like where the spun gold is, is where magic happens. Well, yeah. And I think that's the stuff you're drawn to. I'm drawn to too about the challenge and some of this stuff and putting your passion to work, to making it work. But, and also uh, some of it is the uncomfortability uh, in that challenge too is important that you can't just stay comfortable because then you just get, Bored, at least but, with AD, ADHD right, people right. like us, I think that's absolutely the boredom case. is certainly a problem. I mean, like, and it's and I think you sometimes think that boredom is like, oh, there's nothing on TV. It's like, no, it's much deeper than that. It's yeah. like it's, you know, you, um, you know, why why do you think you know uh, Richard Branson has done what he's done and and uh, what uh, my fellow St. Louis. St. Louis and Jack Dorsey at Twitter, you know, it's like he was bored on certain things and, and why Bezos and uh, Musk want to go to Mars because they're kind of bored in a little bit, you know, and they just want to test their, their limits, you know, and go further and, and see how far they can push this and push humanity and creativity and, and things and, and they're changing the world. I mean, and you try to find that stuff in your work at Jack Morton. You try to do things that are kind of related to it. You're like, you wrote a great post people can find on LinkedIn uh, that's fish-related, and you do other uh, blog And try to write as much, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, and that's some of those things that that outlet. What do you tell in kind of conclusion, because we've rambled I'm sorry. on. sorry. No, 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 don't be <laughs> sorry. I thought this was great, but um, I don't want to take any more of your time, but the, the um, you know, the advice on to other folks of, you know, places to go find an outlet or places to go, like you've mentioned, Bezos and Branson and, yep. you know, on and on of folks. How do you find advice to other people? How do you find, uh, you know, people to learn from, mentors? You've got a lot of Bill Bunkers you introduced right. me to a while ago. Great guy. Like, these people that you've kept in your life for two decades, some of them, how are you, how do you find them? What's a way? I mean, it's, that's not a 10-second yeah. answer. I understand that. And I, I'm not expecting that. But... 
how do you find the way or what do you say as a way for people to go do some self-realization some and connection with other people who can help them right like those people have helped you um i you know i i like to have drinks with people <laughs> i mean i you know i that's i mean a short answer is like i spend a lot of time um keeping up with people trying to always meet new people thankfully i've always had that as a part of my job um in new business um, and and growth and and you know building companies is is a lot of relationships and, and keeping up with those people and also being honest you know I'm not I I don't um, I don't have a lot of um, falsehoods in me um, I'm pretty uh, overly honest sometimes about my faults and who I am and what I'm not and and um, but I'm I'm curious you know curious is something you always hear a lot about you know in these in books and podcasts that I am um, uh, I sometimes try and take in on and read too much of that um, but um, I'm reading this book right now called Essentialism and it's really interesting um, because it's my fault sometimes is trying to do too much and take on too many things. And then the core of the book obviously is, is trying to weed out um, a lot of the noise and a lot of the excess stuff to get to the real gold. And that is with um, content, with people, with podcasts, with, I am a massive fan of, of pop culture in every way. And I try to see, as I lived in New York City for, for seven months when we were launching um, an office of WI in New York. And I got to be there with a few of my friends. And, and I thankfully didn't have to pay for my apartment. And, and, like, and, and uh, while my wife was planning our wedding back here in Chicago, I got to you know, do a ton. You know, my friends and I would go, I mean, I swear to God, I saw, you know, 30 plays or or concerts and went to every art gallery opening and and try to do all that with as much as my 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 kids and my family and and my friends and and you have to be curious you just have to get into all these different things and then in that curiosity if you meet somebody you know i a friend of ours um jg um john gabrizak um one of my um closest confidants in this long strange trip of of this business um you know, he was a guy that just like on paper, we were like these two should not really be friends, like age wise, or like there's just a lot of like this doesn't really make sense. Like, but you know, anybody who knows him would would know what we're talking about. But yeah, but you know, well, I just he, think of walking <laughs> not, not to tell the story, but of like walking into the first time at Painless. I hadn't met JG, and you walk in, <laughs> he's like skull you said, rings, you're the and prep like school in, guy, right? <laughs> And he's got skull rings. He's the coolest, you know. He's like the the glasses, but uh, he's a a great guy. Whenever he and I love to go to um, force the four seasons and get drinks, and and uh, and uh, he always ends up in all these random conversations with people that are the richest of rich from all over the country, because. You know, he looks like he is um, a part of uh, his favorite band, Cheap Trick. You know, like he literally has the tattoos. I mean, he has a Rick Nielsen tattoo, and like, and he's got, he's got Keith Richards skull rings and like the scarves to match, and he's a silver fox, and he's just like got everything going on. He's the coolest of cool, and people are always just like, "Who are you? What do you do?" Mm-hmm. And it ends up. You know, and I'm naturally a little shy. I mean, and insecure, um, but I'm always trying to push myself further to you know, meet people that I think are interesting and, and, 
you know, I, I just met this guy, you know, uh, who is the head creative at uh, Superfly, who, you know, produces Bonnaroo and, and a lot of uh, music marketing works. And, and you know, um, super interesting guy. Like, he comes at this business from a very nonlinear path, was like an art student, then became a musician, which he had, you know, learned kind of by force, and then became a, um, a creative for bands and an artist. And then Superfly bought his company, and now he's doing all this mm. for brands and stuff. And he's, you know, fascinating guy, you know, and like, and and um, you just gotta like push the needle of like, um, you know, the greatest thing ever is LinkedIn. I mean, it's just like the easiest thing to reach out to all these people that. If I had what I had when I was eight, I mean, my God, well, like all the people that I can get to yeah. and and ask questions about that, for the most part, most people are pretty good. And then the ones that aren't, you just got to walk away from because they're not going to turn over. You know, if that's, if anything, I've learned that just there's some people that are just not worth it, yeah. you know, not worth trying to like, you know, go after. But, right. but you know, you just, um, most people will take that coffee or that drink, right. you know, especially if you're, looking for more like advice than like their business. That's a whole different story and, and set of pains that I feel on a daily basis. Um, you know, when you're trying to make more of a transaction than, um, just purely trying to, to learn from people and, and, but people like you, like me, like, you know, all our friends in this business, like want to, want to impart, like they like talking, they like kind of imparting knowledge and they like meeting people. And, and, you know, it's uh, fun to have drinks and, you know, unless you're a recovering addict or something, yeah, right. but, uh, right. or that's where coffee comes that's in or right. yes. there's other <laughs> but, ways, uh, other ways. And, and, uh, but you know, it, it, uh, it doesn't, most people don't have the time anymore to take like a four hour, right. you know, golf, you know, thing or whatever. So yeah. that half hour drink, um, time is pretty easy. And, and, uh, as, uh, and I think the, the deck that Radiohead, uh, which I do love non hippie bands like Radiohead <laughs> and broken social scene. And, but like, uh, I think the documentary of, uh, Radiohead is meeting people is easy. And yes, it's meant sarcastically by Tom, Tom York, but, uh, it is, it is, it is easier than you think. All right. And then speaking of connecting with you is it, it's probably easiest for folks that can just find you look up Sean Callahan on LinkedIn. Yeah, I am not the, there is a Sean Callahan on LinkedIn that is like the head of ad sales. I am not that guy. I am, he's in, he's in San Francisco. I am the one in Chicago and uh, I have a wall of sound um, from the Grateful Dead a picture behind my head on my LinkedIn. So that's the one. That's a dead giveaway. <laughs> Well, Sean, this was this was great. Hopefully, the uh, folks listening enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, uh, well, I will not be listening to this because I cannot stand the sound of my oh, voice. Good, so I, good. I can do all kinds of things to doctor this up. Then, but no, thanks, Sean. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining me today on the Painless Podcast, my man. Thanks, bud. All right, I love chatting with that guy. As you can tell, we went over an hour, uh, but it's it's great to hang out with him great soul. Uh, that guy has more empathy than anyone else you'll ever come across. Great guy and uh, some great ideas, doing some great work. It's great to get connected with him for sure. Check him out in the pod description with some links to connect with him, plus uh, the Chicago Sport and Social benefits. And uh, Oh, and uh, we mentioned a fish uh, a blog post, basically, that was really interesting from Sean. I've got that link in the description as well. So, 
get there, check it out. And uh, hey, if you're listening to this somewhere around when this uh, pod goes up on June 6th or later today, the 6th, Wednesday the 6th, check your inbox for a painless email blast. Get you caught up on what's going on there. Lots of jobs, lots of movement, lots of great opportunities going on right now. And if you're not already signed up on the email blast list, join the 2,400 plus other people who already are by just creating your membership at painless.network. Create your profile. That's free. And you'll also get added to the email list. Come on, do it today. All right, I'll get out of your ears. Until next time, my friends, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected. Stay connected.